today on Ag News Daily. Loss. We've seen tar spots since 2015, but really two years have really sucked out in my area where we've had economic injury, and that's from 2018 north of I-80 and 2021 uh, when you look at south of I-80. October 3rd. 2023 Tuesday edition of the podcast. Uh, sounds like both Delaney and I are getting a full force of dust in the air for harvest this morning. Yes, I uh, certainly have been feeling it. And then having dust in my house from it being under construction, coupled with harvest dust, I think Tanner is making it hard for me to recover from this hacking and <laughs> sneezing and grossness. Yeah, I uh, would agree. It seemed like no matter what environment you were, it's dusty here in central Iowa, but we've got dry weather that is affecting northern Illinois as well as parts of Indiana. We have ripe conditions for wildfires. The National Weather Service is reporting unseasonably warm temperatures and wind gusts up to 30 miles per hour. In western Iowa, we could see some thunderstorms later this afternoon and this evening. Stronger storms are associated with the front that might move through, but is expected to continue to push east. In southern Missouri, thunderstorms and rain are expected. Well, no severe is expected to come, no severe weather is expected to come from those storms. There is a slight risk that as the two systems merge, we could see some more severe weather itself. So getting some rain in some spots, I'd say again, like I said yesterday, we could use just a little bit here to settle the dust a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I was in Western Iowa this weekend and they could certainly use some there as well, Tanner, as it's been super dusty, super dry. But nonetheless, we jumped ahead quite a bit here for harvest progress. According to USDA's report dropped yesterday as of Sunday, 23% of both corn and soybeans have been harvested so far, Tanner. And that's a pretty good jump compared to the week prior. As far as conditions go, the majority of crop crops harvested so far have been in the fair and good categories, with the amount of soybeans in the poor conditions category still slightly up from last year, but all in all, uh, harvest is chugging right along, Tanner. Yeah, I was looking at that as well, and that's something that we would have expected due to these dry conditions. Although cotton farmers in the high plains and rolling plains of Texas have been fighting the wind and blowing sand as they try to get their spring crop in the ground. We aren't having uh, rotation between crops this year. The normal dry year is having an effect on the tough cotton crop and the dry conditions from multiple years delaying is what's causing issues there. We could see drought conditions impacting the insurance costs for crop insurance for these Texas farmers. So as they have, obviously, you know that yields are tied into your crop insurance calculation and you're able to buy premiums based upon those levels. Crop insurance might be harder for these farmers to get the extra level of coverage that they used to because of that. Costs are climbing. Extreme weather such as drought in Texas is not just wearing on the spirit, but it's also weighing on the wallet of the taxpayers is what Congressman said. A Stanford University study published that in 2021, 
the impact of the warming temperatures in Texas cost crop insurance companies between 1991 and 2017 $141 billion in losses. In addition, that claims went up during that period, obviously, due to drier conditions. But if you're filing a claim every single year as a producer, you can expect your premiums to go up. So some unfortunate news from our friends in Texas about what their crop insurance proceed crop, crop insurance premiums will be for next year's cotton crop. Well, Senator, we got some interesting news here from the Department of Justice as they have filed a suit against the data mining company Agristats on September 28th. Agristats is, by all accounts, a research type of institution, Tanner, that was formed in, in the heartland here, I believe in Indiana, and basically does ag research and compiles a lot of different ag data points to put forth you know, news and articles and research studies, I think very similar maybe to Aimpoint Research and what they do. Well, the Department of Justice filed an antitrust lawsuit against Agristats on September 28th on the account of exchanging confidential information at the expense of meat and poultry industry competition. This suit, which was filed within the District Court of Minnesota, alleges that Agristats violated Section 1 of the Sherman Act by collecting and distributing very sensitive information, including, Tanner, price information, competitor information, and quite a few other pieces of highly confidential information that folks are saying led to less competition in the meat industry. Well, from the processor's sake, let's say. But the competitively sensitive information was shared with processors that make up about 90% of the broiler chicken sales, 90% of turkey sales, and 80% of U.S. pork sales. So this is... uh, not their first, not their first lawsuit, it says, but Agrisats says that the fueling U.S. economy, or excuse me, Agrisats says that it's been fueling the U.S. economy by stimulating innovation and driving efficiency to help the protein production and help the protein market reach lower prices for consumers and higher prices for producers. But the company apparently already went through a lawsuit back in 2012 very similar investigation here where the department of justice found no wrongdoing. So they're pretty confident here that uh, they will skate through this one as well, Tanner. Well, from the department of justice to the Supreme court, farmer Richie Devalier is going to get his case heard. So we reported on this earlier in the spring, a farmer that has 900 acre branch had his homeland flooded due to a highway flood wall. So twice, 2017, 2019, in Texas, the farmer's land became almost like a bathtub due to the construction of highways in the area. So as torrential rains came, his property flooded, killing cattle and damaging his crops, as well as ruining his infrastructure. Texas state officials refused to pay damages when he approached them in 2020 and sued for compensation under the Fifth Amendment. September 29th, the Supreme Court agreed to take on Devalier's case. They stated that the case is about basic government accountability 
whether the government has to give you the constitution, the constitution rights that are handed your way is what you are entitled to. If the constitution says yes, and the state of Texas says no, we as a Supreme Court will get to decide. So the attorney for uh, <laughs> Devlin is stating that since 1920, the Devlin family has been on this land and farmed this ground in southeastern Texas, roughly 60 miles east of Houston. But it sounds like now we will get to hear what the outcome of this Supreme Court ruling is in regards to whether or not the state of Texas will have to pay compensation back to Devlin for the damages caused from their state highway. Well, Tanner, it must be all about the court cases today because we had another lawsuit here filed this time by Corteva against Inari Agriculture against potentially stealing seeds and biotechnology. The lawsuit filed on Wednesday, September 27th, alleges that Inari Agriculture, a plant breeding technology company, illegally obtained hundreds of Corteva's biotech seeds infringing upon Corteva's patent rights and violating its plant variety protection certificates. This lawsuit in particular alleges that Inari not only stole it, but deliberately used a third-party agent to obtain these protected seeds, illegally exported them out of the United States, made slight genetic modifications of the biotech traits, and is now pursuing U.S. patents for those modified traits. So Corteva is seeking damages to adequately compensate them, of course, for this alleged unlawful action, as well as a permanent injunction against Inari, prohibiting them from any future actions in violation of Corteva's intellectual property. This complaint was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Delaware. Tanner, Corteva stated that they first learned about this back in December of 2022 and now have a case filed here to move forward. Interesting. That's uh, certainly something that you don't hear very often coming from the Corteva side. Typically, we hear about Corteva in the news from the other direction. That's what I was thinking as well. Well, the last headlines I've got, just an update on Russia and Ukraine. The EU foreign ministers have held an historic meeting in Kiev to offer support to Ukraine. Days after the U.S. House Republicans blocked an aid package that was to be sent uh, to Ukraine, Ukraine's foreign minister said that Kiev was working with Washington after Congress did not include the new aid in their last-minute deal to avoid the government shutdown. President Biden is still vowing that the American support to Kiev will continue. A pro-Russian figure is poised to begin coalition talks following Slovakia's election in what could pose as a challenge to the NATO, to NATO and the EU unity on Ukraine. So we'll see what news comes out about that. Russian forces again launched heavy shelling at the Kyrgyzstan point in recent days, killing at least one person and wounding eight more in that southern Ukrainian region. So pretty quiet, it seems like, as far as battle goes. Yesterday, as uh, the interesting reports are coming about, sounds like more strategic meetings will be reported on here coming forward. But that's what I've got for news today. One final headline here myself as well, and that's looking down to Argentina. 
On Monday, their government said that they will extend the program to incentivize grain exports in a way to hopefully help push forward their company, their country's economy, as it looks to meet some targets set by the International Monetary Fund amid an economic crisis. They are implementing policies that will, they think, strengthen the Federal Reserves of Argentina's central bank, according to a decree that was published in one of their official gazettes. The export program will allow agro-export firms to swap out 25% of the foreign currency they make on alternative exchange markets that offer better rates than the official rate, which in August was frozen at 350 pesos per dollar. The remaining 75% must be exchanged at the official rate. However, the government hopes that having these better rates will continue to drive exports as well as higher domestic prices for some key commodities such as soybeans, Tanner. So it's an interesting system that they've come up with here, but they're really trying to incentivize folks to continue selling product into the world market to keep Argentina's economy driving forward. Yeah, I always find those headlines interesting. Obviously, the grain is there and available. It's nice to see it get sold and drives economic power. And Tanner, that does it for our markets. They were switching things up a little bit here, not focusing on tech today, but focusing on tar spots and their impact here in the Midwest during this year's growing season. Well, folks, we're chatting today with Agricold Sales agronomist Kevin Gale to talk tar spot and maybe some other diseases that lurked around this season. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the podcast this morning. Thanks for having me, Delaney. So, Kevin, you are an Agrigold Sales agronomist in Illinois. Talk to us a little bit about the territory that you cover. Yeah, I, I am a sales agronomist for Agrigold. Been with the company a long time. Um, basically, covering the northern half of Illinois, and venturing into southern Wisconsin a little bit as well. Great. Well, I'm sure that that provides you an interesting array of farms and farmers to chat with. So as you look at the 2023 growing season, reflecting back now as we're in harvest, tar spot obviously was not as much an issue for your area, but talk to us a little bit about the growing season for your farmers in particular. Yeah, when you start thinking about the growing season this year, we've been throwing a lot of curveballs. You know, this year we've been really dry to start the year off, especially in that May to June timeframe. And we've learned here in Illinois that tar spot really needs to have that wet weather early in the season with high humidity to get it going uh, to cause an economic loss. We've seen tar spots since 2015, but really two years have really stuck out in my area where we've had economic injury. And that's from 2018 north of I-80 and 2021 uh, when you look at south of I-80. And basically those two years, we had excessive rains falling early in the season. We had high humidity levels uh, across several days. And that really allowed that tar spot complex to develop and injure a lot of, a lot of cornfields. And this year, when you start thinking about areas that did receive rain, and they're pretty pretty small areas, but those areas that did see some early rain, the end of May, early part of June, we probably saw a little bit more tar spot show up um, compared to other areas that were lacking rainfall early. And those are the areas that we really got to worry about um, tar spot impacts. 
Yeah, I had not realized that the weather early on in the season was a big factor in tar spots. I think it's just become a common thing. We talk about this time of year is tar spots, but I hadn't realized the uh, path it takes to actually develop. So I'm curious as you look at, you know, the growing season for tar spots and whatnot, uh, talk to us a little bit more for those farmers that need a little refresher about what tar spot is and the potential economic impact, as you mentioned, that it could have for farmers. Yeah, tar spot is just a new fungal disease that originated in Mexico, uh, South America area. It's been in that area for 100 years. And typically, it's it's the areas where we had a little bit cooler weather and high humidities where tar spot typically develops. But that disease just shows up on leaves, um, you know, after those wet weather conditions, high, high humidity. Um, but you got to have all three sides of the disease triangle there to get tar spot started especially here um, we saw that this year we just didn't have the environment part of the disease triangle to get it started early so kevin as you look at tar spot you know you mentioned we've been seeing it for quite a few years now consecutively do farmers need to worry about areas that had tar spot this year are they more susceptible to it next year Yes, we, we've come to realize that tar spot does overwinter quite well in our environments here in the United States. So if you had the disease present, you're going to probably see that disease show up again in future years. We continue to see that disease expand across the Corn Belt. Um, so again, we need to consider that, you know, as, as far as um, residue harboring the disease, it, it's going to be there. Tillage really doesn't do a lot of good against it yeah it might reduce a little bit of uh, tar spot but doesn't completely take it away so we need to continue to manage for this disease going forward so let's talk a little bit about managing the disease is there really anything you can do to help manage it you can't control mother nature and the rain that we may or may not get but what can you do right you know, at AgriGold, we, we continue to look at hybrid selection i mean i think that is the best option protecting against tar spot it's probably a number one defense a grower should consider when selecting products, you know, going forward. However, there is no hybrid that's resistant to tar spot. You know, you can have better tolerance. And I, I think AgriGold, we've observed products that are more tolerant to tar spot. And we're typically steering those type of products to areas that have seen tar spot religiously year after year. But we've rated products over the last three or four years from a company standpoint. I think that's really key. You know, growers are requesting more information. And I think AgriGold offer that with confidence. You know, with our breeding efforts at AgriGold, we can continue to look for products that are superior to tar spot tolerance. And that can uh, really provide confidence in those high disease environments. The other way to protect against tar spot is use using fungicides you know fungicide used to become more common uh, practice in recent years because of the on onset of tar spot and other diseases and it can be very effective in re reducing tar spot infections for a small window after application so if you have the right conditions available for tar spot development it may take two or three applications of a fungicide to get the best response but remember once a tar spot infects that leaf you're not going to see a lesion until 14 to 21 days later so timing is extremely critical 
for fungicide applications, you need to be on the front side of things and then retreat if you need to, if uh, conditions are, are warranted. But we've seen a 50 to 60 bushel advantage to fungicide applications if they're timed appropriately. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a good number to kind of have as a marker, a benchmark there. As you look at this growing in season in particular, obviously you did not get tar spotted in your area of Northern Illinois due to not having some rainy, cooler conditions at the beginning of the growing season here. But as you look at the rest of the Midwest here, talk to us a little bit about the tar spot coverage that we saw across the rest of the Midwest. But Kevin, second part of that question is what kind of economic or yield loss do we typically see during harvest season? Well, it's from a tar spot coverage across the corn belt. You know, I, I typically watch the uh, iPipe website, you know, watching where tar spot has shown up, you know, as the weeks progress. And the areas that we saw tar spot showing up early, like central Iowa, south central Illinois, northeast Kansas, and into Michigan and in those areas that have irrigation are probably those areas we saw tar spot show up early. And a lot of times that coincides with the early rainfall that we saw this year. So in those areas, we probably saw tar spot show up and maybe have a little bit more impact from a yield perspective. Um, but like I said, it really comes down to harvestability late in the season. If you can get that crop produced, then we got to worry about how good are the stalks late in the season, especially in heavy disease situations. And that could be an economic impact if we can't harvest that crop timely uh, before we have harvest losses from down corn. And we saw that in 21 with excessive rains early, a lot of disease development um, early in the season, and the stalks were just uh, riddled there at harvest time. So as you think about 2024's growing season, it's uh, maybe hard to think about it that far in advance since we're still just harvesting the 23 crop now. But as you think about planning for next year's growing conditions, is it too early to start thinking about planning for tar spot in 2024? Yeah, I think this is a great opportunity to think about 2024 and it starts with scouting now, you know, right before the combine. If you haven't combined yet, this is a great opportunity to get out in those fields and see how your hybrids held up against tar spot as well as other diseases like anthracnose, uh, southern rust, those type of things. But if you've experienced high levels of infection over the last few years, you know, selecting tolerant hybrids should probably be a strong consideration for next year um, when you start thinking about 2024. But uh, yeah, it, it all depends on the, the year, the environment that we have, but now's a great opportunity to start thinking about 2024. Fantastic. Kevin, if uh, any of our listeners have questions about the agri-gold lineup and any of the the uh, traits you mentioned there that might help with tar spot resistance, how can they get a hold of their agri-gold local rep? Yeah, I mean, just uh, go to the, the website, agrigold.com, or reach out to your local rep or agronomist. Um, we'd be happy to help you through through this tar spot conversation. Because I think it is really important and, and more and more growers are requesting type, that type of information as well. Fantastic, Kevin. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, Delaney. Look at the markets here at 
the mid morning, just after the open December corn is down a penny and three quarter cents at 487 new crop soybeans down 10 cents at 1267 December hard red winter wheat down a quarter of a cent at 677 Chicago wheat after yesterday's big gains is still pushing higher this morning up five and a quarter cent at 570 and December spring wheat down up a penny and a half at 720 and a quarter. As we take a look at the livestock here at the mid-morning trade, December live cattle down a dollar seventy-two and a half at a buck eighty-six sixty-two. November feeder cattle's down two dollars ninety-seven and a half cents at two fifty-two seventy-two and a half, and December lean hogs down a dime at sixty-nine forty. There we go, another great Tuesday conversation, listeners. That means we got three days left. Delaney, what do you think? Are you excited for the rest of the week? I'm excited, Tanner. We've got some really good conversations lined up. So I'd encourage our listeners to make sure they've hit subscribe on their podcasting app so they can get notified when new episodes drop this week. And be sure to follow along with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tanner, what do you say we let the people go? Let's let them go.